Welcome to Underdogs, the Sweet 16. It's here. See you, Baylor. See you, Duke. No, wait, Duke prevailed. Damn. Ah, oh, oh, I'm so mad about that. Jordan, enough out of you already. I, I can already see you. You're already, you're, I think you've got a, do you have a Duke hat on right now? You can, you have eyes. Not just a Duke oh. hat, my friend. Oh, oh. For those Not just who a Duke aren't hat. watching this. Look, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to enjoy this, so I'm milking this for all it's worth. By the way, nothing sums up where we're at in this year's tournament and how it's played out. Like me getting to wear North Texas and Abilene Christian t-shirts last year and Jordan wearing a Duke shirt. Look, they're this a year. plucky underdog uh, with an unknown oh. with an unknown coach. Uh, <laughs> underexposed. No, enough. Uh, That's Jordan. You never Brenner. see him anywhere. <laughs> Peter Keating oh. is also with us. This is the Underdogs Podcast. We're going to talk about Baylor getting upset, coming back, rallying back from down 25, almost pulling it off, but then falling apart in overtime. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about parity. Um, you know, Carolina, blue chip program, but a number eight seed taking down a number one, and all the other number ones also were very fragile. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about St. Peter's later in the episode, and we'll also get into a tasty giant killer matchup of Michigan, another plucky underdog mid-major going against <laughs> Villanova, uh, 11 seed against number two. But first, got to mention, this is a all sports podcast. Right now, we're heavy on March Madness. We're heavy on this tournament because everyone, when you think underdogs, you think the NCAA tournament and the Cinderella's. But rest assured, we're going to get into other sports here as we get away from the tournament next week, I think we're going to have a really cool look at the uh, the baseball season, baseball preview and looking at underdogs. But we're going to get more and more into the other sports as we go forward. And so if you're listening to this and saying, all right, what are you going to do after the tournament's over? We treat every sport on this underdogs podcast with love. So we'll talk more NBA. We'll talk NFL, Major League Baseball and other sports you want to hear about and we care about later. But you know what? We got to get into the biggest upset that we were big on that actually came through. The Iowa State Cyclones. Stand up, weather patterns. Here, Hurricanes, Miami took down Auburn, of course. And then we had Iowa State that we had called on this podcast in the last episode. Watch out for the Iowa State Cyclones taking down Wisconsin, a team that we had hated for a while as a, as a, a vulnerable giant. And they, sure enough, they take them down in epic, incompetent fashion. Right, Peter? <laughs> Turbulence creates chaos. Uh, you know, you got to pick your spots when you brag about stuff. There's plenty of times where we get to what turns out to be the top of the market in any particular case, brag about it, and then a crash happens right away. Okay, in this case, I have to say, we had an awful lot of Wisconsin fans telling us things like the Badgers' close games record where they had an inordinate number of wins in close games and we said that wasn't sustainable and they said well i've sustained it for a full season well they didn't sustain it against iowa state uh you pick pick whatever numbers you can pick whatever numbers you want out of this box score and they will pop your eyes wisconsin was two for 22 shooting threes against iowa state now i don't know what's worse the fact that they took 22 threes or the fact that they only hit two of them. I'm pretty sure the two is worse than the 22, but the 22 is still surprising in a bad way. Wisconsin missed 33 shots and had seven, count them, seven 
offensive rebounds. Iowa State forced 17 turnovers by Wisconsin. Look, we said expect a slog, expect more chaos, expect more slippery pig handling of the basketball. Slippery pig handling? I love yeah. that. Yes. Yeah, you know, yes. Like, like, like you might at the Iowa State Fair. Um, <laughs> Where is the Iowa State? Is it in Des Moines? Um. If you're if you're listening the on the pod, please let us know where the Iowa State Fair is, and if you want to invite us out there to podcast from the Iowa State Fair next year, we, we're, we're game, right, Peter? We are there. We will. Yeah. We will. Go. The eye of the storm, the eye of the cyclone. Peter, you rattled off a lot of stats there, but you forgot the biggest one is that Wisconsin lost to a team that shot thirty four percent from the floor. Wisconsin that- fans, eat it. They had a team shot 34% and still won. You know what the teams are? In the last 10 years, I looked this up on stathead.com. Teams in the tournament that shot under 35% from the floor are now 19 and 161 for a win percentage of 10%. Good job, Wisconsin. In the final three minutes of the game, uh, apart from one free throw and a garbage time three-pointer, Wisconsin didn't have a single point. Look, Neither team did a lot of things right, but Iowa State always forces their opponents into turnovers. That's a key killer characteristic, and they've done it now twice, and it's what made them dangerous. So for all the joking around we can do about how overseeded and generic and problematic Wisconsin was, all that stuff's true. But a lot of this was forced on them by Iowa State just dragging them down into this kind of game. Right. And it's fun for us. We're, you know, we're not touts. We're not telling you bet on this, bet this amount of money. It's our guaranteed upset special of the week. What we really enjoy is breaking down a game and giving a sense of what it's going to look like. In the end, someone hits a couple tough shots. Someone doesn't hit a couple tough shots. That's randomness. But this game played out much like Iowa State's first round game against LSU played out as we saw it. Frenetic. A lot of turnovers, as you said, mucking it up. And and it's really fun for me, I think you guys would agree, to go in with an expectation of what a game is going to look like and then see it play out. The opening seven and a half minutes of the second half, Wisconsin scored two points. Two points. Seven and yeah, a half Yeah, but, you minutes. know, 12 and two in, in close games, Tom. <laughs> 12 and two. They've got grit and it's sustainable. Well, I mean, just from a... From a story standpoint, they were two and twenty-two last year. They go yep. into Milwaukee, Wisconsin, into the middle of the Hornets nest and beat Wisconsin. That was a home game for them. If you watch that game, Davison, every time he, you know, had a chance to like rile up the crowd, he's he's egging on the crowd to get louder and louder. And Iowa State didn't care. They had an amazing game. They played to their strengths. And this is one of the biggest underdog stories if in any sport is a team went two and 22 last year. They finished the season on an 18 game losing streak. They get some transfer portal additions to the team and they go and they get to the sweet 16. If St. Peter's was not in this tournament, this would be the biggest Cinderella underdog story of the tournament. Absolutely. And, and you can't knock them from being from a power conference from all the reasons you said, they really, really had to turn this thing around completely. And you may, you raised a good point about the transfer portal. I'm looking at so many of these teams. It's such a different era of college basketball when no one has to sit out a year. You can remake your roster on the fly. And then you see guys like O'Banner 
last year playing for Roberts and this year at Texas Tech. It's, it's almost jarring to see players of that quality and caliber in a new uniform the following year. These, I think these were... collections of players from all over the place. It's going to take some getting used to. I think Iowa State had a couple of times four players on the floor at the same time who were all transfers. And it's just getting more common. I believe in fairness for the players and being able to go where they want. As a fan, I think we all kind of miss the days of stability and some four-year players and you really get to know them. It's hard to learn rosters and to get a feel for teams so quickly when they're so fundamentally different year to year. But I can't say from a fairness standpoint that should change, but it makes our job harder. Well, it also fuels, I mean, it's essentially what can fuel a turnaround from two wins to a Sweet 16 season. You know, there, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of instability was needed on the Iowa State roster to turn them into a winner. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I love this quote from the coach. Otzelberger says, um, this is from an ESPN article, quote, they knew what they were signing up for, talking about his players. They knew what our identity would be. We believe that if you play hard defensively and you dictate that, you can control the game. We're not going to apologize for how we have to win, and we're not going to apologize for aesthetically how it may look. They're winners. My friends, that might be the ethos of the Underdogs podcast, right? Like, I don't care how we do it. We're, we're not going to be pretty, but gosh darn it, we're going to pull off those upsets. Because we get we get in there and and play really tough defense and create chaos. That's exactly what they did against Wisconsin. And it shows you why the statistics related to effort and hard work, particularly defensively, are related to giant killing. Because after all, if you shoot better than I shoot and we just go out there and we play to form, you're going to win all the time. So the underdogs have to do everything they can. They have to work twice or <laughs> many times as hard to neutralize that talent edge. And I will say, we're going to get into their matchup next against Miami to get into the Elite Eight. A guaranteed giant killer going into the Elite Eight. They're going to be matched up to the winner of Kansas and Providence. So we'll talk about that later. But let's also here talk about the fact that we almost had zero number one seeds in this Sweet 16. We saw Baylor go down. Kansas was up one with a minute left against Creighton. Gonzaga down nine in their matchup. Then you had Arizona having to go to overtime to beat TCU. We almost were looking at a number one list (laughs) Sweet 16 here. Like that's a lot of parody, right, Jordan? Yeah, I'm actually surprised given the strength of favorites early in this tournament, how that's played out with the one seeds. The theme all through the season is there hasn't been a dominant team. Gonzaga... Yeah, maybe, but I, I haven't looked at them as some sort of Duke, un- unbeatable you know, giants. Definitely not Duke, no. But uh, <laughs> that said, you look at these matchups and you don't expect TCU to be you know, basically have the upset down and then in overtime against Arizona. Memphis hadn't – I'll say this. Memphis, the, the, team, the Memphis team we saw over the last few weeks was fundamentally different from the one we saw most of the season. But, again – I think it just speaks to the overall chaos we're seeing in college basketball right now to the point we were just talking about with the transfer portal and everything else. Stability is a, is a real factor in all sports. You keep an offensive line together. We've seen the research before. Your running game improves. You keep a basketball team together, your defense improves. And 
bringing in these moving parts constantly, there's only so much you can do in, in, in half a year with them. So, right. yeah, wildly divergent results in a one-and-done tournament should be expected. So then let me ask you this. In the first round, we our, our statistical model found a lot of value plays among the favorites. How do you square those two things? I, I think the the two things were going on that kind of disguised what was going to happen in the second round. One is that underdogs just got a bunch of bad matchups in the first round. Yeah. And the second thing is there is this phenomenon of teams we've called the schoolyard bullies who do everything they need to do to overpower a weaker conference. They get to the NCAAs, then they basically always lose. Vermont, Colgate, South Dakota State. It's almost like you have to take those out of the equation because they're still playing their own game of creating stable teams that win smaller conferences. When you take those teams out, what you're seeing is a much bigger amount of compression and chaos among the teams other than them. Well, and the wounded assassins we always talk about, sort of the the teams from major conferences that just make it into the tournament, like a Miami or a Michigan, those are the teams that have either been winning or in the case of a, of a TCU, giving these teams all they can handle. Notre Dame was in the same situation, right? nearly took out Texas Tech. So it's these battle-tested big conference teams who maybe didn't have success, maybe a few close games didn't go their way during the regular season, but they've been in these matchups before. They have some sort of a discernible trait they can rely on to beat a good team. Maybe they're just not intimidated and they have weapons that are at their disposal in these kind of matchups. I thought Virginia Tech was in that category. Yeah, that's yeah. the one that surprised. It's that's, funny that's that the, that's the head scratcher there. It's funny that the ACC has done so well, except for the team that won the tournament. Maybe we should have seen more ACC teams, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know what ACC team uh, could have made the tournament that didn't. I re- I've, I've been looking at the list over and over, and really nobody jumps out to me. But no, I think not, maybe. It's not noteworthy that uh, ACC teams in the NIT tournament are they're four and zero. UVA and some other team I can't mm, mm, can't come up with it. Maybe won the ACC Player of the Year and the Coach of the Year, but somehow the committee didn't think that they were eligible for the tournament. I don't know who it is. I can't come up with it. Yeah, Jesus, strange, strange. Speaking of ACC, North Carolina takes down Baylor. Almost blew it, guys. Woo! Wow, what a game! Wow. I mean, they. My next door neighbor, he's a he's a, a state grab. NC State, and he was like, I had to turn off the game. I couldn't bear to watch UNC blow them out. I was finishing some stuff out in the backyard, and I like look at my phone. I'm like, oh my god, it's a 15 point game. Oh my god, it's a five point game. And I'm like, I had I had to go, you know, turn it on on my phone. And I'm sitting there being like, if Carolina loses this, that is, I mean, Jordan, what were what was going through your head as you watch Baylor rally back and watching Hubert Davis go from like an amazing run in, you know, b- taking down Duke, right? Getting into the tournament, getting here and going up 25 against Baylor and then just about to blow it. That was nerve-wracking. My brother texted me, he's a big Carolina fan, he said I'm about to throw up. Let me be fair to Carolina. A, a rare moment. I, the Brady Manic <laughs> ejection. Yes, uh, questionable at best, and that obviously turned the game. Now, look, I think Carolina should be able to protect a 25-point lead even without Brady Manick, but it did change the game. And then is there anyone who went when the game went to overtime and then you looked at Carolina without – this is basically a five-man team. They have no depth. In fact, in their win at Cameron, Hubert Davis didn't sub the entire second half. So you look at them without Brady Manick, without yep. Caleb Love, who's fouled out. Is there anyone who looked at that team and thought there was any way anyone other than Baylor would win that game? 
Yeah, what was the money line at, at overtime? Like the live game odds? Like I, I, I would have said, it, I would have said like Baylor by three or something like where whatever it is. It's just I thought there was n- very little chance that Carolina was going to pull that one out. Look, building that twenty-five point lead was phenomenal. In some ways, what they did in that situation in overtime was more impressive. The resolve they showed, and and they're actually their bench stepped up and came through. Baylor had some attrition of their own fouling out and injuries, but still that was, that was a credit to Hubert Davis and his crew. They, they came through when truly the odds had shifted against them. Yeah. I mean, Baylor scored 35 points in the final 10 minutes of regulation. Wow. And just to back up what Jordan is saying, North Carolina ranks 339th in the country of the proportion of minutes uh, played by bench players. So it's, I, I actually, I still don't know how it happened. <laughs> it's, I don't well, it happened it's beyond the, the arc. It happened beyond the arc. Carolina yeah. shot 11 of 25 from three. Baylor shot nine of 37. In fact, during that comeback, Baylor was still missing threes. They would have won yeah. in regulation if they'd hit a decent number of threes in the comeback. But that was a remarkable performance beyond the arc. And Carolina, they only shoot about an average number of threes, but they do hit 36.5% of their threes on the season. So that's what we've talked about, again, these chameleon-like tendencies. When you turn up the volume, you have a higher upside. They took 25 threes, they made 11. That was the difference for them. Yeah, because everything else that we pinpointed about Baylor being a good giant to bet on came true. Baylor had 16 offensive rebounds. North Carolina had 21 turnovers. Yeah. So And those were all during, the, I mean, to be fair, not during the main 30 minutes of the game. It was like they were all in a flurry during the comeback. And a huge portion once they lost Caleb Love, you, know, you lose you lose a one of two guards on your team basically. Right, but it just That's it gonna, just goes yeah. to just goes to show what you're saying, which is that to turn that around yet again and triumph in overtime is just really remarkable. You know, Hubert Davis relying on his starters. Should we start calling him Hubert Tibbsis? Oh dear. Whoa, Lord. that's um no, because they're in the playoffs. Uh. <laughs> Bing bong. Um Bing so- bong. <laughs> I, I um, you know I'll tell you uh, real quick my son my, my wife took my son to his first NBA game ever Knicks game last week and my wife came home and goes who is that Knicks coach he seems really angry <laughs> hard hitting New Britain Tom Thibodeau from the mean streets of New Britain Connecticut yes I, yes no, I th- get I get worried for him because I feel like if things don't go right in his basketball life. I just I don't I sense that that's his entire existence, and so he just spirals into getting more and more negative when things don't go right on the court. You know what I mean? I I, I don't think he's I don't think he's going home to get a lot of enjoyment watching Euphoria or Game of Thrones. I feel like he should believe like it or not. He, he loves. I've talked to him about this. He loves Billions. Like this, it's his favorite show oh. on TV. So he actually has. But that's not exactly a relaxing. Yeah. Yeah, he's that's not, not like. That, he's not lighting up a. You know. That's that's not stress release. It's about even more intense competition. That's Good right. Lord. Yeah. yeah. Like, right. hey, I'm just gonna like throw on some incense. You know, put my foot massager out here yeah. and yeah. just yeah. watch like a nice the- relaxing episode of a bunch of hedge fund guys trying to yeah. take each other. Right. Out. Or like watching Squid Game on a loop. Like this is not. Yes, I, I, I need to see him mixing a daiquiri and just chilling out for right. one evening. I think we'd all be better off. Maybe he wants to come to the Iowa State Fair with us next year. <laughs> you know, we can ask him about the sculptures of butter. <laughs> Miami Miami takes down Auburn. Jabari Smith 
not his best game, but uh, Bruce Pearl and Auburn go down. Miami, J- J- you know, Larinaga, he's a great interview. I watch him on TV and I'm like, he is destined to be like on TV. Like he's great. Um, I love watching his team play this year. They force a ton of turnovers. They get into you defensively. And Jordan, I'm not off base on this personality of Jim Larinaga, right? No, I've I've really enjoyed him over the years. If you remember, Giant Killers got its start by picking George Mason in 2006 to make some noise. And then the fun, the fun thing about that was, so back at ESPN, the magazine, we were a bi-weekly magazine, and we really had to look ahead. We couldn't look back at anything. So it happened to be that the magazine each year would have a, a closed Sunday, closing the issue, of the same Sunday as the regional final. So what we would do is we would send two people to each of the four regions, each person would be ready to write a, um, a preview of the team that came out of that region. So I was young. I think I was still freelancing. I was you know, trying to get a full-time job there. And I was really psyched when they said they would send me to one of the regions. And I went down to DC with another writer. He was assigned the winner of the UConn-Washington game. It was a, a one-seed dominant UConn team against a Washington team with Brandon Roy. And I got Wichita State versus George Mason. So there was no oh, way yeah. I was writing the Final Four preview. But I brought down, I, I remember I took the Acela, I had like stacks of paper I printed out doing all this research. My previous job had been covering high school sports in the D.C. metro area. That George Mason team was all local kids, including a couple I'd covered extensively in high school. So I'm calling all my, my contacts from the D.C. high school community. They beat Wichita State, they're in the region final. And by this point, I've sort of made my way in with the program because I knew that. So I'll never forget, George Mason really milked the moment for everything they could because they knew what it could do for their recruiting, for oh, their of course. student base, everything. So Larry Nega was running on fumes, and they brought me and a Sports Illustrated reporter back to the team hotel for exclusive interviews the day well, okay. before they Glad it UConn. was for exclusive interviews. They brought me and another guy back to the hotel. Individual, <laughs> individual interviews. But I, I'll never forget, I'm sitting on the couch in the lobby with Larinaga, and he starts to fall asleep on the couch. Like, what? his eyes start rolling back. He'd been going 24-7 for days. I'd never seen... And the guy, as you said, has so much personality and so much energy. And it was this rare moment of just seeing how much exhaustion yeah. set in for these guys. But it was... And then, of course, they they beat UConn. I got to write a Final Four preview. It's really fun watching him get to do this again. Obviously, Miami isn't George Mason in terms of status as a school or program, but it is very cool seeing him use some of the same traits used at Mason to get this team two wins from another Final Four. Yeah, I mean, he's a great teacher. He was a great ambassador for that school. We thought that when he went to Miami, it was almost like having a small market team being handed the Yankees keys to, you know, recruiting and location. And he built a couple of great teams there that didn't happen to make the final four. Shout out to Um, Shane Larkin. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The interesting thing is, you know, even last night after the game, he was talking about the scramble. You know, he's always loved this extreme pressure on opponent ball handlers, usually man to man, sometimes trapping. But in the past, he actually had statistical goals in mind of limiting inside shooting by opponents to 40%, outside shooting to 30%. They were about forcing bad shots. This year, he got a bunch of undersized guards who are very active, but 
he's completely changed the focus, even though it's the same name, same concept of hassling the defenders. What they do is they try to slap the ball away. They try they, they go for the ball instead of just trying to force bad shots. They've allowed a, a horrible effective field goal percentage, something like 320th in the country, but they generate buckets of steals. Last night, 10 steals against Auburn. And these guards again and again and again got inside. I mean, you saw Isaiah Wong, who I think gives up at least half a foot to Jabari, um, dunk over him. Oh these my guys God, got, awesome. These, these I mean, guys got right inside. There. These guys got inside all game. They actually took more shots than Auburn did from the inside. And then when Auburn shot from the outside, they went five of 26. It was a dismantling, even though Auburn retained their big edge on getting rebounds. So it was, it's pretty impressive. And, and it's a little bit different style. It's a consistent Yeah, no, to your style. point, he got to Miami in the 2011-12 season. Not only is this the highest percentage of turnovers forced during the Laranaga era, it's by far their best team in terms of taking care of the ball. They only turned it over on 13.6% of possessions this year. That's sixth in the country. They've never been that good on offense, not even close to it. So they have this massive edge in turnovers, and we know how important that is for giant killing. We're going to talk about that in a, in a second. Is Iowa State versus Miami? It's like picking your favorite kid at this point. But we have to talk. We've we've gone this far without really getting into St. Peter's, which is the biggest underdog Cinderella story of the tournament so far. They're going to be matched up against Purdue right now. They're twelve and a half point underdogs at DraftKings, and they're plus six hundred. Their implied odds are not great, of fourteen percent. There is a pathway to doing this to pulling off another upset to get into the Elite Eight. One of the things that we have studied in Giant Killing is the whistle. Is Historically, when we started doing the research in this project, we found that Giants, the heavy favorites, right? The overdogs. If they rely on the whistle in a game, they get a lot of free throws. That doesn't bode well for them in the tournament. They are vulnerable. Over time, that kind of faded away. But... What St. Peter's is doing all season long and a little bit in this tournament, but not totally their game plan, but I'm really curious to see how this matches up with Purdue is that they maul their opponents like crazy and they dare the officials to call those fouls. They have one of the highest turnover rates in the country. One of the best defenses in the country in terms of opponent turnovers. They have one of the best shot defenses in the country, but what they also do, Peter is that they foul like crazy. And they have ranked this season among the 360 teams, some odd teams, they rank 348th in free throws allowed per field goal attempt in the, in the country. I mean, they send their opponents to the line. And in the first two games in this tournament, it's worked out for them. It has. It has. They went 18 of 21 on free throws and they sent Kentucky to the line 35 times, but Kentucky was only 23 of 35. On free throws, St. Peter's is 23 of 31 on free throws. Murray State, just 16 and 25. This is a neutralizing superior talent tactic we have not seen often. And St. Peter's doesn't play anything like Oral Roberts, the other, the other Cinderella 15 seed did last year. They sped things up. They shot a ton of threes. St. Peter's fouls you. And hopes you miss your free throws instead of you letting assert your superiority in other ways. And 
you know, inside, I mean, Kentucky shot under 48% on, on two pointers. Uh, Murray State shot under 36%. Yep. Um, so the St. Peter's strategy of mauling you inside has actually uh, worked. The first it feels like a, it feels a little bit like Bill Belichick's old defensive strategy, right? If you hold the receivers on every play, they're not going to call pass interference constantly, and eventually you're going to find an advantage. And I, I can't blame St. Peter's for playing this way. I can blame referees. It's not a St. Peter's thing. It's it's actually some ugliness we see in college basketball in general. These too many 55-50 games in this tournament, and I think it's because they allow such physical play and the shot making just isn't there. But I can't blame St. Peter's for saying, "All right, we don't have a uh, we don't have the same talent of these teams. We have to find another route and put it on the officials." Oh well, it's really to their credit that they found this avenue and and the pathway that Tom talked about. Here comes Purdue, Zach Eady, number two in the country, drawing six, uh, 7.6 fouls per 40 minutes. Jaden Ivey, number 46 in the country. Trevion Williams, number 64. But for all that, Purdue barely makes 70% of its free throws. Oh, so if, yeah. if you were going to find an opponent that is going to be there, <laughs> going to be there under the basket to be hacked and then miss a bunch of free throws while you try this, I mean, I think we're talking about the hack-a-zack strategy is what right. we're going to Right, and say. we just we tried to come up with a good pun for Travion Williams, who shoots below 60% from the line. We couldn't do it. But if you if have, it, if you a have kill one... A will? Kill a will? It's a... Kill a will? It's Travion off? No, it's Travion one, on, one, on, one and one. Isn't no. it Travion one and one? No, it no, that doesn't work. Hack-a-zack, I like that. Hack-a-zack is great. Hack-a-zack, let's stick to the hack-a-zack. Yeah. Like hack-a-zack. St. Peter's will. Because they have, um, you know, they, they get to the free throw line a ton, Purdue. They rank 13th in terms of free throw ratio of your mm-hmm. overall field goal attempts. Um, but there's almost a ceiling to that, right? Like officials aren't going to call every single one. And if they do go to the line, there is going to be some variance here. So St. Peter's does have a pathway here. I'm not saying you drop, you know, your your mortgage payment on, on St. Peter's here. But there is an avenue a pathway for them to do this again. And this is almost the same as Abilene Christian a couple of years ago is the idea of just creating chaos defensively through playing physical defense and hoping that the whistle isn't going against you in this game. And yeah, St. Peter's could do this. Uh, you know what though? I, I actually think if they're going to win this game, it's going to have to be more winning it on offense. Purdue's not a great defensive team, 86th in overall efficiency. They never force turnovers. They're bottom 12 in the country, I think, in, in turnovers forced. So St. Peter's should be able to run its offense, which is huge because we see a lot of times these underdogs run into a team that's just so good on defense and they can't even get off a decent shot. That's not going to be the case, I think, for St. Peter's. And you saw in their first game against Kentucky, they scored 85 points. They hit 9-17 yeah. threes. You know, I know, again, they were an inconsistent offensive team. They were 225th in the country, but they've, they've done it now against the power team. So I think they're going to have to score to win. It's not going to hacking Purdue isn't going to be enough. Purdue's too good offensively for that to limit them completely. And again, there is an avenue here against Purdue's defense to do some stuff. Yeah, but Purdue Purdue really is efficient on offense. And in the first two games, they've been above one point one five points per possession. I mean, you know, they've just put up eighty one points against Texas, and that's like I two games they- worth for Wisconsin. I think <laughs> I think I think there's a reason why we 
we quite quite frequently see a Cinderella or two in the Sweet 16, but not so much in the Elite Eight. This is the point where talent gaps really make a difference. And yeah, but Oral I, Roberts I, last year, two-point loss to Arkansas in the Sweet 16. I, I hate to be – but they could score. I hate to be unsentimental about this, but, um, you know, the strategy has been great. The execution has been beyond brilliant, but – there's a pretty big gap. I, I thought you teams. were Jersey strong. What happened? Yeah, what I happened am. Here? I am Jersey Peter strong. Please. I'm not just Jersey strong. I'm Jersey city strong. Yeah. Well, you're abandoning them when the going I'm gets a little I, bit I, tough. I'm, I'm rooting for them. I oh. just want, I just want to make sure that we stay a little bit realistic. That's oh, all. come on. Throw, throw a cold yeah. blanket on this conversation here. Let me, <laughs> let me just set the table here. <laughs> St. Peter's, the Peacocks, started the season three and six. They lost to St. Francis by 11, okay, earlier this season in the early going. They lost to Stony Brook. They lost to Siena. Started three and six. They've won nine in a row here going into the Sweet 16. Shaheen Holloway, I wonder what's going to happen next year with this coach, Jordan. Uh, it just so happens a, a certain job has opened up as mm-hmm. Kevin Willard has joined Maryland as their new head coach. There appears to be a vacancy at Seton Hall. Who could oh. they possibly turn to in their moment of need? Well, if it will help keep Shaheen Holloway, I will flip right here right now and say uh, uh, if he stays, St. Peter's chances of winning will go way up. I, I, I don't really know <laughs> if that's true or not. But, hey, you talk about... You talk oh, I about thought you tr- were going a different direction. I thought you were, were going to say, uh, just to keep Shaheen Holloway, they got to lose this game by 20 because then <laughs> then, then you know what? He's going to stay at St. Peter's. So you're actually oh. rooting for long-term St. Peter's success by hoping for a, a loss here is what you're doing. No, I, I, I think if they win, it'll be much harder for him to leave. So I'm saying I'll flip to no. root it. To, to, that money I still is have some issues. I still oh, have I, some- oh, I see. You're talking about in terms of his income prospects as opposed to – the uh, the, pull, the pull of God the program, you, but I don't think they're going to be able to compete budget wise with yeah. with Seton Hall and the rest of the country. That's going to yeah, want well, to pick see, this guy we talk, up. We talk about the transfer portal. As long as that's true, then we we all should just shut up about having to learn about unfamiliar players on rosters. Because the minute this guy puts together a Sweet Sixteen team, he's going to get lured away. It's it's a natural way of things. But uh, I guess I guess you're right. How disappointing. Well, it hasn't happened yet. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe he'll stay true to his roots. Maybe he'll keep building until they're the best team in the MAC. Not just, <laughs> not just, the, not, not just the second best team. Well, Who knows? I, all right, I'll do it. I'm picking the upset here over Purdue. Purdue's minus one thousand. You have to bet a thousand dollars just to win a hundred bucks on that bet. St. Peter's is plus six hundred dollars. I have we've not been we've been not haters on St. Peter's. We obviously haven't predicted this run from St. Peter's from the Peacocks. But now I'm finally gonna turn. I'm I'm picking St. Peter's in the upset here. Well, if you know Godspeed. I mean, you, you're going with the <laughs> you We just talked you, about their pathway and now you guys are you, saying you, Godspeed. You're going with the stash. It's all a trick to lead you on. <laughs> no nobody can blame you. Um I think I think Doug uh, Eddard start started growing that mustache after the loss to Siena, <laughs> which is their last loss of the season. It hasn't shaved yet. I think it's taken him since February twentieth to to build that stash up to its current level. So let's 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 hope he never has to shave again. But I, that's a that's a that's a tough bet. That's a tough call.
Remember the best vacation you've ever taken? Make your next one even better with Get Your Guide. With Get Your Guide, you can book over 100,000 unforgettable experiences in the U.S. and around the world. Want to see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter? They got you. Watching a wrestling match in Mexico City? No problem. Or how about a guided tour of Rome's ancient ruins? Wherever you're going, whatever you're into, book your next travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. Okay. All right. We got Gonzaga going against Arkansas. Not a giant killer matchup. Gonzaga's eight and a half point favorites there. Duke is going against Texas Tech. That's basically a pick em. Um, UCLA is going against North Carolina. Purdue, St. Peter's, we just talked about that. Let's talk about the other giant killer matchup, Michigan-Villanova. Michigan right now is four and a half point underdogs. They're plus 175 on the money line. Michigan here upsetting Villanova from a program standpoint is not a giant killer, not a huge upset, two blue chip programs. But what's Michigan got to do here to actually pull off that giant killer 11 seed over a two seed to get in the lead eight? It's also very amusing to me that we're talking about a, a giant killer with an undergraduate student population of 44,000 against a giant with a 10,000 undergrad enrollment uh, for Villanova. So it's just funny. This this tournament creates odd scenarios. Uh, I, I don't know. Gosh, Peter, have we have we just underestimated Michigan as a team? Are they hot at the right time? You know, I, I'm sure when we get fresh stats, our model is going to be more bullish on Villanova probably than the money line is. I, I just again, it's a look. I didn't see Michigan having a way to beat Tennessee, and they did impressively. I sort of feel the same way about this game that Villanova has too many weapons. For Michigan, what do you what do you think? I think it's very difficult, as you've just said, to project this game statistically because the level at which Michigan is playing right now is is certainly different from what it was at the end of the season. But since it's only two games, we really don't know by how much. Um, I, I mean, this was a that, Michigan team that let Wisconsin score seventy seven points. I hear what you're saying, and so I'm. We're not sure yet. How whether or not this is a value against the money line, but Michigan has gotten used to winning even while turning the ball over, right? They've turned the ball over 15 times in their last two games, and I think they're not going to fix that. I don't, I don't think they're even maybe interested in fixing that right now. Well, whoa, they're, they're, there, there is a way to fix that. I mean, how much of that is related to Devontae Jones missing the first game yeah. and then only playing 12 minutes in the second game? You lose your point guard, you're going to turn the ball over Let's be fair. That's true. But if there's any if there's any bumps or erratic play or anything to do, anything like that against Villanova, I mean, Villanova is just an extraordinarily efficient team. I mean, they've been scoring uh, at a rate of one point, like 120 points per 100 possessions. I think they've given up nine turnovers in, in the tournament. Um, they're getting offensive rebounds. They're shooting. They're taking 44% of their shots from behind the arc, which is always a risk, right? And it's always the risk they carry, but they're hitting them. I mean, Villanova is playing like a really good version of Villanova right now. And I think that's a tough team to beat. Right. I, You know, Hunter Dickinson does have a huge size advantage inside on Eric Dixon and, and Jermaine Samuels, who I believe has been there since the Truman administration. But they, <laughs> but, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's enough. I just don't, like you said, Villanova has so many different ways they can beat you. I wish they played a little faster. 
I wish they that, would. That's another risk. Yeah, you talk. I mean, you talk right. about pathways, right? The pathways are there. Keep this thing from Michigan. The keep keep it slow, which Villanova does anyway. Right. To, pound to it tighten, inside. Tighten up the ball handling. Pound it inside. Make Dickinson the most annoying human being in the country for the length of that game. I mean, the pathway is clear. Um, I I just don't think it's you know I'm just I don't think Villanova should be anything but favored. Yeah. Well, when you look at their game against Tennessee, Michigan did a great job of um, of defending the three point line. I don't know how much of this is luck, but two of 18 Tennessee shot two of 18 from downtown, which is not quite Wisconsin bad, right. but very close to Wisconsin bad. Um, and more notably in their two wins in the tournament, Juwan Howard's team has, has kept their opponent off the free throw line, just seven free throws attempted against Colorado. The anti St. If you will, 12 free throw attempts for Tennessee in the second one. Meanwhile, Michigan got 22 free throws in the first one and 20 in the second one. So they're winning the free throw line battle and Villanova is not a team that lives at the free throw line. So again, the, the free throw narrative is going to, is going to pop up big here for Michigan as it is for St. Peter's, but in the other direction. So we'll see how much they can keep Villanova off the free throw line, getting freebies because that could dictate this game. So Villanova is still the heavy favorite in this game, not heavy four and a half points, the spread there for this game. We'll see. Um, but you know, when you, when you look at the rest of the board, we have a guaranteed giant killer going to the Elite Eight because of the matchup of Miami and Ohio State. The Cyclones versus the Hurricanes. Is there uh, a tsunami team that we can get another weathered pattern in this matchup? I don't know, Cur- Hurricanes and Cyclones. What, what, St. John's really, one? really just didn't come through for us this year. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah that's good. T- we got Tulsa, Ohio- the Golden Hurricanes. Oh, yeah, and uh, what, about the, what about the Tulane Green Wave? Does that, does that count oh as, man, you're, does that count as a weather pattern? Well done. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Wait. What is what is the mean green from North Texas? Is uh, he a storm uh, of some uh, kind? Uh, is uh, he a color? Oh, you know what? <laughs> Let, let's take a second here to bid farewell to the North Texas mean green. They oh, lost yeah. in the NIT. Uh, it's real sad to UVA. All teams. Uh, they're looking in the mirror at Spider Man meme, just looking at each other, like, oh, we slow it right. down and just it, we're. It, tough, tough out for North Texas. Shout out to Grant uh, McCaslin, coach. Come back on the pod. Yeah, soon. we follow them all this time because we like them the so rat. much. It's yeah. So this Iowa State Miami matchup is gonna be dictated by that turnover differential. We see Iowa State always going after turnovers, but Miami really takes care of the ball against um, their last quarter. They only have four turnovers. They had four turnovers the entire game, and they were able to pull out the W. So. I don't know. I kind of feel like uh, whatever the over-under is, just bang the under on this one, Iowa State-Miami. It's 133 and a half. Ken Palm actually predicts a 135-point game, but I'm with you. I, I feel like this is just going to be a slog-it-out, slow game. I, 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 I hate going against Ken Palm, but I think I'm, I am going to go with the under on this one. I, hate, I think once the implications of both of their previous games sink in a little more, that under is probably going to go down. I would advise everybody stay away from betting on anything to do with this game. <laughs> run, run, run. Uh, Iowa is 12th in the country at forcing, uh, stealing the ball. Miami is 10th. Um, yes, they'll probably function better than Wisconsin did. I mean, anybody would. Uh, so the game will probably be exciting. Um, but there's, I, I mean, how do 
how do you predict? How do you predict who's going to establish anything resembling offensive continuity? How do you predict how many possessions are actually going to end in shots? I don't know, but I'm literally betting the under as we speak. <laughs> so he, that's how much respect Jordan has for whatever Peter yeah. says. Is that Jordan, after hearing Peter say, stay very far away, what Jordan did was not only am I going to be very close to betting on this, I'm going to actually do it yeah. while Peter's talking. While I'm talking. Of course. Well, I'm not stupid I, enough to I bet mean, the spread in this game, but. I mean, I guess he interpreted what I was saying as bet this game and bet the under, but do it now, as opposed to seeing if the under will go down to, you know. 115 or something, right? I have found that these games keep starting off slowly. So I think there's, again, not that we're a gambling podcast. I think there's some value in betting the under, cashing it out, and then live betting the over when it drops. Wow. There's levels to this. Wow. That's intense, actually. Yeah. I was going to say that that's interesting because I was going to say of all of these games so far in the entire tournament, this is the one I'm going to just sit back and enjoy because I don't have a clue about how to bet it. But also because we're going to have either Miami and Laranega and the scramble and the little guards or we're going to have Iowa State, our favorite air quote Cinderella in the whole tournament in the Elite Eight. It's kind of a, a no-lose scenario. Yeah, we could lose if Providence beats Kansas and then plays their tails off You know what, again. though? Because Providence has just been <laughs> We've come again. around on Providence. Peter and yes. I were talking about this. Yes. See, unlike certain fans of a certain red Big Ten school that— Who like to badger us. Who took so much offense that computers didn't think their team was three-seed quality. I think the Providence fans get that— this team has overachieved, that there has been some luck in their side. I feel like the program has embraced it. They played great against Richmond, and they're just, they are who they are. They they may not have a huge margin for error, but they're grinding, they're gritty, and I think they'll give Kansas a game. There's two ways to respond to being called um, overappreciated or overrated. One is the... Um, you know, the, the Davison way from Wisconsin, and the other is the uh, Providence squad, which is basically like, well, you know, we'll just go back out and show you what we're made of and right. play hard and play chippy. And that's what they've done. So, and we've we, done a complete heel turn on that. It started when their first round matchup with the Jackrabbits was so lame and everyone was on South Dakota state. And we said, no, 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 Jackrabbits, big Jackrabbit. Jack we said, no, yeah. no, no, this is actually a great matchup for Providence. And we're going to go against everything we've been telling you for a month. And it worked out. So I think I think we are full on the Providence train now, right? Yeah, and I'll tell you something else. We also, th- this is not anything to do with our model, but I think we gain respect and think about how to fine-tune the model later on when we see a team just destroy a giant killer by being smart and stomping them out. Um, Villanova against Winthrop last year, an interesting example. We wrote about all the ways Winthrop could win, basically by shooting a ton more threes. Villanova completely came out as though they had that all figured out and stopped them from doing what they had to do to win. Providence blew the doors off of Richmond, and um, they never let Richmond establish themselves inside in any way, which was kind of the sneaky path Richmond had been using. And um, it was impressive. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. You know what else is impressive? That you can remember specific stats from specific games a year ago. I had no idea that I didn't remember that Winthrop shot terribly from three against Villanova. I just looked it up. 
They were seven for twenty-two. It's it's terrifying that you can do this, but also okay, very I'm impressive. Go- I'm going to establish this on the record in this episode of our show. Um, I have very few talents. If I <laughs> if I could hit, if I could ever have hit a jump shot, I I would have gone for it. Instead, I am left to pour over the statistics of those who can. So you know. What, what 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 can I say? It's an honor just to be nominated. Providence. I don't know if you can look this up real quick. Like they're seven and a half point underdogs against Kansas. They shoot really well from downtown. They get to the line a ton. They have a pretty decent offensive rebound percentage. Oh, I know, where, I know where you're going with the this. ball over. Yeah. Are you talking about if they Prov- were Providence, Providence as a, a giant killer? Yes. What do we think? Providence as a textbook giant. I mean, they they don't they don't they don't get after it, and they don't create a ton of turnovers defensively, and they they do slow the game down. They have one of the slowest offensive tempos in the country, um, so they could really slow things down offensively. Shoot lights out from downtown, like they have all season. And so, Peter, can Kansas, we, can they answer? Can we pretend that there's a five seed difference here, or are you able to put this in the spreadsheet and generate an upset percentage? Uh, give me, give me a yeah. Can we pause? No, Tom and I are going to talk about Duke while you're while you're Can we can we pause our broadcast for a minute here? No, no, no. Tom, tell me which Duke point guard did you enjoy more back in the day, Steve Wojciechowski or? Chris Collins. Bobby Hurley? Uh, Hurley is the best, obviously. But, uh, you know, during your formative years. Wait, I'm surprised you didn't put Greg Paulus in there. We won't talk about Greg Paulus. Yeah, yeah. How about that? Well, wait a minute. I just thought the transitive property, not very good for Providence. Oh, no. Because they they played Creighton Mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago. (laughs) They got blowed out 85 to 58. And Creighton just, you know, barely hung on. Don't forget. They also beat Creighton seventy two fifty one a couple weeks before that. Okay, so, you know we, okay. Can, we can we can pick and choose, a lot of variants. Right? Hey, variants, agent of chaos, big fryer, and, and giant killing. <laughs> maybe maybe today's yeah. agent of chaos is the Providence Fryer, the most terrifying yeah, mascot that... in all of sports. By the way, the fryer. The, the only scarier no. one was the original Pierre of the Pelican. I think. Yeah, the original Pierre of the Pelican also in there. You got to throw in the Spurs Wiley Coyote. Um, with the green He's eyes. not terrifying. Very, and he caught a bat. Terrifying. A live bat. Dressed as No, Batman. that was Mana Ginobili. Well, Ginobili caught a live bat in on the on the floor. But the, co- did, the, did, coyote, the coyote did too. Well? Yeah, dressed as Batman. We need to do a whole, an entire podcast. We need to get Ron McGill in here and to talk about what the hell is going on with the Spurs and the Bats. Yes. Seriously, what's going on so with So are the Bats the underdogs okay. of that arena? Yeah, and the whole AC units. Oh, you know, basketball Illuminati. We might be hitting that. Nice, Peter. Yeah, what's our upset chance, Peter? Peter? All right. So, unfortunately, our model does not see Providence as a strong giant killer, but that's just because oh, you, it is, you had the whole setup. It is one of the it is one of the worst teams in the country at forcing turnovers. And I know I said that here, I said that, at, and I'm at, just trying at this level, like. Okay, so they're 99th in offensive rebounding. Well, that's fine, but it's the Sweet 16. So right, it's so a little bit above average. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the model just sees Kansas as so much of a better team, too. Okay. Kansas is a better giant. But we can talk about Providence's giant killing qualities. I mean, they do keep things slow. I mean, they have more. They have, we've talked about Michigan and St. Peter's pathways. We could talk about the Providence pathways basically to impose its style of play on this game, right? To make it, right. to make it slow. To See, hit the you know what we didn't talk about, by the way, 
is three-point shooting. And that Richmond game... I mentioned it. Yeah. They're one of the best no, 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 no. shooting But we didn't talk the about the Richmond game, yeah. which we had liked as a potential upset. So we'll ding ourselves for that. But I've never seen a three-point shooting contrast like that. Providence, 12-22 from downtown. Again, as Tom mentioned, that gives you hope against Kansas, right? Dial it up, get hot on the right day. Richmond shot one for 22 from three. Jacob Gilliard, that, that did not work out well. One for 22. The next they young. took the same number of threes. For seven. Providence hit 10 more. Here's the formula. Slow the game down like they usually do. Limit the number of possessions in the Take game. You want to beat Michael Jordan, you play to one. You don't play to 21 against MJ, right? right? Take a bunch of threes. They're a chameleon. They can take a bunch of threes and make. they got a great shooters on their squad, one through five. They can shoot the heck out of the ball. And they crash the boards. You know, I'd like to, by the way, we've, we've used this MJ analogy frequently on this show. So I'd like to formally invite Michael Jordan to the Iowa State Fair with us next year. Tom will okay. play him to 21 in one-on-one. I will play him to one. It has okay. a very high likelihood of happening. Agreed? Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to come up with like an all-time great that went to Duke that we should use that analogy for, and then you just came up empty. We right. will play uh, – really, We will is, play Eric Meek an all-time to great? 21. Um, no, there's, there's only one answer, and it's Spinarkel. I mean, that's who Jordan will be able to get contact with and get him out there. And he's like, how old is he now, 68 or something? I mean, get Mike Jaminski out on the court. That's, that's the one we should do. I think Billis would be, would be up for it. Yeah. Yeah, you want to play Billis to 21? Yeah, we'll get Billis. Hey, come to Charlotte. We'll, we'll make I, it happen. But you know what? Billis would go to the Iowa two State Two Queen Fair, City too. residents. Yeah. All right, let's wrap things up here with one last thing. Of all the teams that are eight seeds or worse, got North Carolina, St. Peter's, Michigan, Iowa State, and Miami, which teams of those long shots have the best chance of getting to the final? Final four? National championship. Which wow. which underseeded team has the best chance to get to the national championship, in your opinion? I, I'm going to go Carolina, be, mostly because they have an easier road. They've got to beat a four seed in UCLA and then uh, either Purdue or St. Peter's. So that's probably the best pathway to the Final Four. And then any of these teams would have to get lucky in the Final Four. But I will say Carolina has shown more upside than any of these other teams. Their win at Cameron, opening up a 25-point lead against Baylor. I, I feel dirty saying this, but it's got to be Carolina. Yeah, I set him up, Peter. I did it. I got him to sh- share some love for Carolina. Yeah. Big Carolina fan. And George was I Renner. doing that, or am I maybe trying to jinx them? No, wow. I think Good I hedge. think you jumped right in and did it. And I, I'm just shocked you didn't use it as a precursor to explain why Duke has such a horribly unfair path Every itself. year, they <laughs> get no upsets in their way. And now they're in a region, again, that's a one, two, three, four. But I will say this. Could you imagine which something that has never happened before if Duke oh. and Carolina met in the tournament in Coach K's last season? Wow. It's never happened. Wow. We've gotten close a couple times. Never. I, I think Jordan is right about Carolina having the best shot for all the reasons he mentioned, the most upside, the easiest path. Um, but if I can't take that because he just did, I'll say whoever wins that crazy Miami Iowa well, State that's game such a cop out. Pick is, one is living a charmed life. Yeah, you, you did will. two. First cop of all, outs. they're guaranteed a spot. They're guaranteed wait, wait. a spot in the Elite Eight. No, no, no. 
Well, Am I allowed to pick the uh, uh, North Carolina because they're, yes. they're I mean, that, yeah. but I mean, you but you just advance and, yourself to the elite and, by saying whoever wins analytically, that analytically that's the great that yeah but they're far less I mean they're just, neither one of those okay. teams is actually a a great team first of all okay no again you've guaranteed by taking both of them you've guaranteed yourself a win into the elite eight then you're playing. Oh, good Lord. A vulnerable Fine. Kansas I, just, team just, 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 or just, Providence, who so you've been just, trashing just, for weeks. Just, hey, I'm going to start calling you the Duchess, okay? Just stop all the Dukeology, okay? Fine. Iowa State. Was that so hard? I'll write Iowa State the whole way. There you go. And Tom's taking St. Peter's, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm going to take St. Peter's all the way. Yeah, go to the, go to the championship. Why not? This is the Underdogs podcast. I'm picking St. Peter's to go to the championship. Yeah, you're picking Jordan Brenner's picking Carolina to go on a run. I whoa, 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 Yeah, yep, <laughs> yep. Clip it, clip it. Jordan Brenner. That's the that's the clip from this episode. Is just Jordan yeah. waxing poetic about Hubert yeah, Davis how, and the Tar Heels. And then uh, Hedgie McHedgerton, <laughs> Peter Keating. <laughs> Going with Iowa State or whoever wins that game, um, <laughs> Peter to win it all as the underdog. Any last words? Yes, Houston confirming my belief that they are the best five seed ever. ever. I mean, come on, what what are we doing putting them as a five seed? They're going to beat Arizona and they're probably going to win this whole thing. And they were a five seed. I mean, Ken Palm has them as the second best team in the country, and even before. They start. They they beat UAB even before that happened. They were what a, a top five team in the country. Our model top five team in the country, and they were a five seed. Houston. Houston is, should be yeah, favored. Houston is the mongoose. Uh, the, that would be the giant killer killer of this tournament. I was thinking more of the lines of saying, you know, Wisconsin played like they were out to lunch, except for Hepburn. He played like he was out to breakfast. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Goodbye. Wrap it up. Follow us at Jordan Brenner on Twitter, at Peter Keating NJ, as in New Jersey, not Michael Jordan, on Twitter. And I'm at Tom Haverstrow. Go subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, tell your friends about the Underdogs podcast. Until next time, enjoy the tournament. This year here, next year at the Iowa State Fair. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.